and you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at uh, Scamwatch and uh, a, a recent report that's come out from the C. We're also going to talk to uh, Tony Vitray about the budget, uh, but right now we're going to have a chat with Christina on networking and collaboration. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. It's a little different today than it was uh, last week. Well, we have to jump. We have to... cope with some of these difficult challenges that happen. We do indeed and there's the weather we're facing today and a bit of uncertainty globally as well. We won't even get into that one. No, we won't. Um, So so yeah, collaboration and um, networking. So we said that we would go through um, the seven steps. So just to reiterate, number one was now is the time to show up. We were talking about trust and transparency. Last week we spoke about vision, values, mission and how that was showing up in some local businesses. Um, So networking and collaboration is today's topic. Uh, And I think that first and foremost, we need to acknowledge that there's a plethora of events uh, online have been um, during the whole of COVID. So a lot of people managed to pivot a lot of their industry online. And right now we are seeing the opening up of events again, and people have started doing some face-to-face events. So that's not to say that the online events have reduced. So for me, mm. it's how do you sort through the noise um, and pick the events that are most applicable to you and to your business. And that can be quite a tricky path to navigate because the world is our oyster. So as, as you know, the, the saying goes, with the number of events, as long as time zones are happening, but then you can go back and, you know, you can listen to recordings of different networking opportunities, etc. But I guess it's, it, do you go to a networking event to listen to a speaker and have a chat to the people around your table? Do you go to a networking event because you want to have cafe-style conversations with different people? What is the intent yeah, well, that you go to an event We all go to network with? events for different reasons, don't we? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, it might be, and I remember going once, um, so I'm a member of a, of a global organisation. They had an event on in Sydney. Uh, and lo and behold, I sit at a table full of people from Newcastle, which was mm. fantastic on one regard, um, but I know all these people and I didn't actually meet anybody new. So what, you know, what, I, I'm not sure what was going through the heads of the organisers either at that point in time. <laughs> and it's not to say that I didn't have a great time and loved the people I was sitting with, but I was quite surprised um, that I ended up sitting at a table full of people from my own area rather than being mixed around. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it depends on whether you want to go and have a conversation with someone, whether you're going with the intent of listening to the speaker, all, all these things need to be taken into play. And my best piece of advice to people looking at networking is don't just go to events that are applicable to your industry. You really need to broaden thinking um, so that, you know, we've mentioned the terms adopting and adapting so that you can hear fresh ideas, meet fresh people and bring new things into the organisation. If we're going to the same types of events all the time, we're not going to learn anything new. If we're meeting people within our industry, we're going to learn things about our industry, but we're not going to broaden, mm. in my opinion, mm. our experience enough. Do you think the uh, the uh, off, offline, the, the actual face-to-face networking, is picking up yet or is it still a bit slow? Mm, I think it's picking up. Uh, I think people are still a bit wary. Mm. So we, we've just pivoted. We were going to have an event um, face-to-face in the Hunter Valley in a week or so's time. We weren't quite sure what may or may not happen with borders and border closures. But also there's that, you know, people aren't quite sure yet, and it, which is a little, um, it's a bit weird for us really in Australia. 
we think a high number is 10 or 12 or 20 new cases. And if you have a look at what's mm. happening overseas at the mm. moment, it's incredible. But the other thing is I don't think we should be waiting either to have a continued, like to have that resurgence back into only face-to-face events because we really don't know what's going to happen. No. What you really need to be concerned about is the experience that you're going to have, the knowledge that you're going to gain and the intent that you're going to that networking um, event for. So mm. if it's to hear the speaker, you can do that at any location in any time. If mm. it's to have a conversation, even if it is online, how are, they, how are the people that are organising that managing that? How are they choreographing um, different different conversations? And there have been some amazing events online where you really do get in-depth, um, you know, uh, in-depth knowledge from people that you're talking to in cafe-style conversations. So it all depends what the intent is. You really need to sit down and figure out what you want to get out of it, um, but making sure that you're not going to the same type of thing all the time as well. Mm. And, of course, there, there are still little things happening around. I was up at Scone a couple of weeks ago and they had a, a, a business trade show on all day and uh, there was probably about uh, over the course of the day there was probably about 40 or 50 people coming through so yep. uh, you know yeah. that's that's networking it is and you know we had a um a meeting last week in sydney where we we had a face-to-face brainstorming session on an event that we're holding in in march next year mm. um, which we're looking to be hybrid you know part of it will be online part of it will be face-to-face we're ready to pivot at the drop of a hat mm. but it was so wonderful feeling the energy of people in the room but I think the mistake that a lot of um, organisations have made, and they really do need to be viewed differently, is if you're in a... Well, like the digital events, the online events, shouldn't be trying to replicate a face-to-face event. They mm. should be their own entity. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's not that we... You know, I think a lot of organisations are making a mistake in trying to... And that's just my opinion. So, you know, mistake's probably not the right word to use. I think the intent behind an event shouldn't be to replicate what happens in a live room. Because we're not in a live room, you know. And having said that, I think you can actually get a lot across. If you think about watching a television show or a movie, a movie can move you to tears, can move you to laughter, can, can make you angry, can create all kinds of emotions within you. And an online event should be able to do the same thing. Right. So yeah. it's just, it's a resource. It's the methodology, it's the modem, it's the tool that's being used to transfer information. Next week, we'll talk about topic four. You're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. We're going to have our chat now with Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony. So we're going to have a chat about the budget. First of all, there's uh, tax cuts. Yeah, I thought we'd have a chat about some of the things that that came out of the budget. The first one, um, which um, they leaked to the the press a a few days early, was that um, they would bring forward um, the tax cuts. Now, what, what was interesting about this was the budget was handed down on the 6th of October, but the, the tax cuts were backdated to the 1st of July. So you've got this interesting situation where if you're an employee, you've actually been taxed at a higher rate for the mm. first three months of the financial year. Mm. Um, now, yeah, so the, the ATO, they've taken their time issuing the, um, the, the, uh, the new schedules and they actually um, issued a ruling to say that all employers will have until the 16th of November to upload the new... Um, tax tables um, so that employees can start actually receiving a little bit of extra money in their hands. So a lot of the online products, Xero's, Myob, um, Reckon, QuickBooks, they, they updated their um, their tables um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. So um, if you're an employer and you're not on uh, online um, software, you need to uh, you need to get it updated 
um, by the 16th. Now, what's the, the question that's been posed is, well, what about the amounts that we've been overtaxed? Can, is there an obligation to go back and give employees that extra little bit of money that they've been overtaxed for the first three months of the year? And the, the answer is an unequivocal no. Mm. So it's a reminder from the tax office that employers are required to deduct tax using those schedules. That's it. So okay. you can actually take out more. So if the, if the employee says, look, I want you to take out more tax from the schedule, that's fine. The I've never had an issue with that. But if you <laughs> want to take out less... No, you can't. You can't. Well. No. But there, there, is, there is, interestingly, a form that employees can fill in, and it's usually filled in when, the, when they've got a rental property or something like that that's negatively geared, where um, they can actually ask the tax office to vary um, the amount of tax that can take, gets taken out between now and 30 June next year. So okay. if, um, if you're really aggrieved, you'll have to fill it a form, otherwise you'll get a nice fat refund come um, July next year. That's answer a good question for my son, because he keeps pestering me saying, when am I going to get my tax cut? When am I going to get my tax cut? So I can give him the answer yep, now. 16th of November. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can hold out until the 16th of November before you apply no, the No, right. I'm not paying him. It is his boss is paying him, not me. Yeah. So we've got uh, some depreciation measures uh, changing. Yeah, yeah, this is another interesting one, and it's, um, it's, it's creating some interesting um, headaches, which I won't go over um, on the radio, but I guess the, the part that business people now need to, to appreciate is that anything that they acquire after the 6th of October, if their turnover is under $5 billion, and that's going to cover a <laughs> lot of um, businesses, what it means is that they have to deduct the full cost of that equipment in the year that they first use it. Mm-hmm. So there was an asset limit that started out at a thousand, then went up to five thousand, then six and a half thousand, then twenty thousand, then twenty-five, then thirty, mm. then a hundred and fifty. There's no cap now, mm. so you can have a concrete business that that could go and buy you know a million-dollar swing pump um, now, and that is a full tax write-off in this June twenty-one financial year. Yeah, mm. now it, it's it's going to create a lot of issues depending on. The, the tax structure that you, you operate under, whether you're a company, whether you're a trust, whether you're a unit trust, because there's some unintended consequences, you know, with, with all of these um, different um, structures. And there's also some interesting quirks that what will happen is that you'll have a, a set of financial statements that'll show a profit, but when the tax return is given um, to, the, to the bank, it's going to show a loss. Now, if you're a sole trader it's going to create some interesting challenges to borrow money because your notice of assessment is, you know, is going to show um, zero, zero mm. income. Mm. So in a lot of cases where you know, people just got their tax return done without financial statements because that's all they needed to do, now it's going to be quite tricky to try and borrow money if you're a you know, sole trader or a partnership or something like that where all you were doing was just getting um, an income tax return. So... Yeah. It's going, to change, it's going to change the advisory game in our space to actually having to do a little bit more than just the tax return. You're going to have to get financials done as well. Statement. And there's some reforms coming to superannuation. I'm not sure about this word, stapling a superannuation account to the employee. Yeah, it sounds a bit cruel. Staple to an... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds a bit violent, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> sounds a bit violent. Yeah, well, this is something that they're, they're considering and it's one of the... They're going to throw it out to an advisory um, panel. But 
what they and it's, it's actually a good idea, and I, and I don't think this got any press at all. And it's to try and get around this problem that when you have an employee starts a new job, um, they've got 28 days to make a choice as to where they want their superannuation to go. Now, in some cases, you know, that when they fill in the form, um, the employer then has to pay the super to the the super fund of the employee's choice. In a lot of cases, those forms are not filled in; they never come back. So the money ends up going to what's called um, the default fund. So every employer has to have a backup default fund. So when these employees chop and change jobs and move around and have 10 different jobs, it's not unusual for them to have 10 different superannuation accounts all chewing away, eating the fees, eating away at, um, uh, at, their, at their superannuation balances. Um, MyGov's made it a lot easier these days. It's a lot more transparent where the employee can actually see all the super fund accounts and can actually press a few buttons and consolidate them um, into into the one fund, which is always a good idea to try and um, mm. save some fees. But what they're trying to do here, and, and when they, they use the term stapled um, to the member, I guess it's kind of similar. The analogy is it's a bit like your, your mobile phone number. Remember in the early days when mobile phones came out and you got a new one, you and actually you got a brand new mobile phone You couldn't phone transfer number. it, yeah. Yeah. You couldn't transfer it, but then they introduced this thing, I think they call it porting, yeah. where the number now, it pretty much just follows you around. I mean, I, I had to go and get a new iPad on the weekend, and I was amazed how quickly um, the you know the recovery, the backup came up. Every, all the icons were there, all my photos, everything. It just came mm, up so quickly. Right. These days, well, you go back five, eight years, and it, it was a nightmare to try and change um, devices. Well, and computers in those Yeah, Absolutely. So they're trying to do a similar thing here where where this sort of stuff is going to be transparent and an employer will actually have access to that information um, online to say, okay, John, you've started with us. I can see that you know your money goes into AMP. We'll now continue to pay the money into AMP. So, and it's going to streamline a lot of that paperwork. I think the mm. government has realised that you know the super choice forms um, are a little bit hit and miss. The, the new employees are not filling those in. Um, and, and, of course, the problem, of, you know, for the employees, they, they try and pay the super on time. If it bounces back or they don't pay it on time, on time. Yeah. They're, they're the ones subject to the super, super guarantee charge. So I think it's a really good idea that, mm. that this sort of stuff will be a bit more transparent and an employer will just keep paying to, you know, an existing fund, unless the employee turns around and says, no, I don't want to pay to a and I want to pay to, you know, MLC or or something different. So, yeah, stapling. Existing we'll keep, superannuation accounts stapled to a member. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep tuned with that one. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Tony. Yeah. Uh, hopefully your phones come back <laughs> online and uh, we'll have a chat with yeah. you next month. Tony Vidray there. You're listening to Business, The Law in You on 2NURFM. It's uh, 28 minutes to two. Just time well, for uh, this little uh, information on the uh, scam watch from the ACCC. And because it's very important that we continue to keep fo- focusing on that. Australians have lost over $8.8 million to threat-based scams so far this year. And young people are reporting the highest losses. Threat-based scammers often pretend to be from government departments and rely on fear, intimidation and people's instinct to comply with authority to scam victims. These victims, these scams I should say, are mainly phone-based and impersonate various officials such as police, ATO and government investigators. Uh, and it's extremely concerning that young people are being so severely emotionally and financially impacted by this threat-based scams. 
So far this year, Scamwatch has received over 18,000 reports of these scams, which is an increase of 40% compared to the reports in 2019. Threat-based scams disproportionately impact people with English as a second language. Victims are often provided personal information to scammers as they believe they are dealing with a government agency and this can lead to identity theft or falling victim of further scams. Scamwatch has recorded an increase in robo-calls impersonating government agencies such as Department of Home Affairs or Services Australia, which claim the victim is under investigation and to dial one to speak to an investigator. Government departments will never send pre-recorded messages to your phone or threaten you or intimidate you with arrests. So if you are not sure whether a call is legitimate, hang up and call the organisation directly by finding their details through an independent search. Never send money or give credit card details or personal information to anyone you don't trust or don't know, and never by email or over the phone. So interesting reminders there, isn't it? And it's a shame that how they continue to escalate. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about succession planning for your business with Rani Garner from Turnbull Hill Lawyers. We'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Steve Jobs once said, if you really look closely, most overnight successes took a long time. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.